Hey friends, my great-grandfather used to polish rocks, and what I never knew until much, much later is that rocks start out, what, jagged and rough and kind of sharp before you tumble them for a really long time. That tumbling chips off all the rough edges and takes a dull rock and really makes it shine. Our guest today likens the spiritual journey to being a tumbled rock, and I think you're going to relate to her story. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 354, Jackie Turner and Tumbled People. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really, really grateful that you have. There are so many uh, great stories that we have to share with you because God is always at work. He's always doing something, and uh, I can't wait to bring this conversation to you. Maybe you'll see something of your experience in our conversation. I want to let you know before we get into it that everything we do here, you can find at halfwaytherepodcast.com. We have show notes, or probably they're in your app as well. I sometimes forget that they're in there, but uh, I create a little paragraph. I do a few things in there, but there's also links. So if you are, everything we're going to talk about, if we mention books, we mention websites, those are all in the uh, show notes page there, right in your app. You just can click those if you want to go check it out. You want to get a, you know, a book or go go connect with our guests. You can do all that right there. So just keep that all in mind. And of course, there's also, if you go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, a Patreon button. That's where some of you have chosen to help support the show with five bucks a month or maybe a little more. Some of you have been more generous than that. And I really appreciate those of you who do that. Uh, helps keep the show running, helps pay for all those costs that podcasting has. So if you want to uh, help out in that way. You feel led to do it. Feel free to come along for that journey as well. All right, let's dive into our conversation today. I am super excited uh, to to have this conversation. Our guest, she is an author, a spiritual director. You know, I love my spiritual directors, uh, trainer, spiritual directors, and a retired a retired trauma therapist. Totally interested in how being a trauma therapist and spiritual direction go together because they've got to, right? Our guest is Jackie Turner. Jackie, welcome to Halfway There. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I am excited. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit as well about, you've got a, a book, Tumbled People, Deconstructing and Reconstructing Your Faith. Seems like a lot of people are going through that. It's a very uncomfortable situation, right? To To kind of deconstruct some of the things that you've learned and still try to hold on to the to the center of the gospel and what it means for us. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. Like it's uh we talk so spiritual formation people we talk about orientation, disorientation and reorientation, right? So it sounds like in the book you're trying to help get through that disorientation and, and reorientation stages. Yes. Is that true? That is so true. And um, everybody does it differently and ends up in different places with it. And that's okay. God is big. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the goals of my show here is I want to say to our friends, hey, you can go through the spiritual desert, hit the wall, whatever the spiritual metaphor you want to use is, and end up on the other side. And, uh, you know, Jesus will will kind of follow you through that process and guide you through, I think. So uh, I'd love to talk about, let's uh, just kind of broad stuff here, but uh, let me ask you this question first to start off and we'll get into your story here in just a minute. But I mentioned that kind of link between being a, a trauma therapist and a spiritual director, like that, I mean, not, 
it makes sense when you hear it, but I wouldn't have thought of it naturally, right? So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you think one colors the other. Well, it's interesting because when I took the spiritual direction training, I actually had to take that hat off so I could learn. And also my pastoral care hat, because um, they're just different disciplines and people come to a spiritual director, not to be directed in a direction, which if you come to a counselor, you definitely want to be directed in a direction. (laughs) So it was hard to learn the difference and to compartmentalize that. But of course, I'm aware of people's trauma and if they need to be referred to a therapist or if Mm. we can do some of that work through prayer ministry or something else. Right. Yeah. That is kind of critical. I think as a, as a director, sometimes not everything can you deal with, right? You have to help people do that. So you have a good background for that. Great. Well, I want to talk about your story and how you got here because I I know there's uh, you know, it's, it's been a journey. And so I want to hear some of that. Um, where did you, let's go all the way back. So where did you grow up? Well, I moved, my dad was a produce buyer, so we followed the crops around. So I lived in a lot of places, but my, uh, earliest memories are from a small town in California called Aromas. And there were 717 people there. Wow. Okay. So small town, California. Now I'm just going to, I'm going to show my cards. I grew up in Iowa, right? Full of small towns, but I didn't realize California was always like very exotic to me. Right? I didn't realize yeah. there was like rural California. So you grew up in kind of rural California. What was that like for you? And what was the spiritual climate for you as growing up? It was a fabulous place to be a child because you could run around the hills and people looked out for each other. And really, it's where I found Jesus, what I call the first time, because um, as a child, you have, you know, you have a different sort of relationship, but there was only one church in town, and I was very spiritually interested. So I would just walk myself down there, and I met um, my Sunday school teacher, whose name was also Jackie, and she told me that if you invite Jesus into your heart, he'll come and live in there, and then you can pray and ask him things, and he will answer you. And at that time, I had uh, these reoccurring nightmares. So I went home and asked Jesus into my heart and prayed that I would never have another nightmare again. And I never had one again. So for me, that relationship was very real. Um, I would pray, God would answer. That's that in the stages of faith development, that beautiful, mystical period of childhood where everything works well. Yeah. Spiritually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is, is beautiful. And sometimes the Lord, the Lord treats you that way, right. As a, as a child. And he, he answers your prayer. How, what meaning did you give to that experience uh, of praying for Jesus to take you into your nightmares? And he did. Well, I, for me, he was like a friend, like, mm. like someone you could rely on, but I didn't live there um, into my teenhood. So that's a completely different story. Okay. Yeah. We moved to the big city, um, East Bay, California, and I completely forgot that I had a relationship with God. And I did all those things that one does during that time period, the drug, sex, rock and roll era, and completely forgot that I had known Jesus at all. Okay. That's interesting. Did you stop? Did your family stop going to church or you just were like, this is where the cool kids are? Like, why why do you think that happened? My parents never went to church. Um, oh, I just okay. took myself. You were taking yourself to church. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know their faith background at all. But when I got older, I found out my mom's family was Mormon. My dad's family was Methodist. And I guess when they got married, they just, since there was only a Baptist church, they just forgot it and stopped going. But, you know, their journey is longer too. But what happened for me in high school was I became very spiritually curious about my junior year, started looking into um, new age stuff and found that wanting. I mean, it was helpful in a lot of ways, but when you get to the bottom of self-actualization, it's just you, you're still, you need something bigger. And then uh, I met these campus life people there. It's kind of like young life. And they invited me to club and I started going and hearing the stories. And then they invited me to camp um, in April of 1977. And I heard a speaker and I felt like he was reading my mail every time he got up and spoke. And then at the end, he did this thing where he pulled out a giant paintbrush and he said, someday you're going to be standing in front of Jesus and he's going to have a big canvas covered by a cloth. And when he takes the cloth off, you're going to see this picture that is so beautiful. It's going to make you cry. And you're going to cry and cry and say, what is that a picture of? And he'll say, this is a picture of what your life could look like if I held the paintbrush in my hand. But right now you've got the paintbrush in your hand. What does your life look like? And then he sent us off for like 45 minutes of silence, which for (laughs) a child that age is impossible. But boy, I did some business with God because my my picture wasn't going very well. And um, that was the day I gave my paintbrush. And, uh, you know, that was my adult decision to follow Christ. And uh, I've never regretted that. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So that's a, that's a long, long 45 minutes, probably. So (laughs) what what did you learn about God in those moments? Um, That God wanted all my hopes and dreams to be, you know, subject to him, like, it was a lordship experience because mm. I I had a I had a plan I was going to go to Hollywood and be a movie star, and and so my prayer of faith was kind of like okay I can give up the drugs and the sex and the rock and roll but okay if I never get to Hollywood I still want to follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Wow. Okay. So where did that take you? That took me straight to college where I had been a Christian for a couple months, but I got involved with a Christian organization and it was fabulous. It was a fabulous experience. They taught me how to pray and to study the Bible and to lead others in Bible study. And they helped me understand about missions and all those wonderful things that happen in what we call stage three of faith development, where you really get your foundations set. and. And then I ended up going from there to work for that organization for most of my adult life. It was beautiful. Oh, you did. Okay. So, uh, so you ended up, that's interesting. So I love that because I think that that season is really powerful, right? So when we, when we learn, you're kind of doing the scriptures and you're like, whatever you're studying, you're kind of there every time the doors are open, all that kind of stuff. What are there any enduring memories for you of that of that time? Any particular engagements with God that stand out for you? Oh, so many. I mean, really, it was foundational. And um, and then uh, later, I 
I ended up when my kids were little, um, leaving, going to school, becoming a marriage and family therapist. But later I ended up going back and being, uh, a spiritual formation specialist <laughs> for the same organization, because I guess they realized over time that people needed spiritual formation to, to do the long haul in ministry, because yeah. we just were burning everybody out, right? We're burning everybody out in about three years. Yeah. Okay. Well, so describe that difference for us. Cause I, I think many of us see it, but uh, I don't know that we talk about it often enough in, in my experience. So there's, there's one thing to have a head knowledge and you, we need to understand things, right? You need to study. Mm-hmm. I, I have, my faith grew exponentially when I learned how to study scripture as a biblical study student, right? Like I just, I no longer had to, it wasn't magical, but it was powerful, right? There's a difference. And, um, your faith kind of has to grow up a little bit. What is, versus kind of some of that spiritual formation? So I like—I don't know if I told you this before, but I went to—I say I went to college to learn to study the Bible and seminary to learn how to pray, right? So it was a little more <laughs> spiritual formation kind of stuff. But um, so, is there describe those two differences for us? Like, what what's the difference? Well, the, the first section, of course, being foundational and learning how to pray, how to read scripture. I think the second part was learning, especially for these staff that I was working with, they were activists. Um, They were burning themselves out for Jesus. And so they needed to learn things like how to take a day off, how Mm. to have a Sabbath, um, how to spend some time in silence and solitude, how to uh, silence their phones so they could have a family. You know, it was basic kind of growing up spirituality where you have to find that balance and realize that you're you can't be Jesus to people um, and you can't bring Jesus if you're just always running, running, running and you have no well to give from and you're empty. So we trained in different kinds of contemplative prayer, took people on retreats, um, taught healing prayer, those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. So how did you go from one to the other? Because usually there's some things that happen in between uh, the season of kind of learning and I call it learning the way of Jesus. I've, Mm -hmm. I've adapted. uh, I don't know if I said that in the, in my prep materials, but I've adapted some of uh, the critical journey. And so I call that learning the way of Jesus. And then there's like this finding the, uh, finding yourself in Christ, right. Which is kind Mm -hmm. of its own, is its own thing. Often includes a dark night, spiritual desert, that kind of thing. What, connect those two dots. Like how did you discover spiritual formation? How did that, how'd you get to there? I got to that because when I was asked to come back on staff to help work with the staff, um, people kept asking me, are you a spiritual director? And I kept saying, I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Because by then you'd been a therapist. Yes. And so then I had to go get that training. And in the training for spiritual direction, of course, you do a lot of spiritual work in contemplative ways. So you're reading a lot, you're doing spiritual practices. So then I was able to bring those to the staff at that time. My wall hitting came later. Ah, okay. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, so, so tell us that story, take us in, take us into that and where, unless there were particular parts, things that we need to know building up to it. No, well, just that um, by that time, I had become a national trainer for this organization. I had become a popular woman speaker. 
um, in the Christian world. I, I had a good, solid reputation of walking with Jesus a very long time. What changed was that my husband and I began to grow in love for the LGBT community. And I found myself at odds with the organization when they developed a paper that we had to sign that said, we believe that marriage was only for a man and a woman. And I realized I couldn't sign it. And that was very difficult. Um, I thought, well, you know, Jesus isn't going to ask me this when I get to heaven. Um, (laughs) I thought it was a secondary doctrinal issue, but, but it wasn't um, for them. And so I was, after a couple of years of trying to sort of walk on eggshells and, and do that, I finally was invited to leave the organization, which was devastating in many ways. If you've ever been asked to leave a church or something, it's like a divorce. You lose not just your job, but you lose your friends, your family, your fellowship. And so I lost almost overnight all of my opportunities to speak and um, train and all those things were just gone. I lost friends and family. And most people just sort of went into radio silence when they found found out why I left. But um, it was painful. It was so painful, I just have to say. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, which is how that kind of goes, right? It's absolutely a painful season. All right. So we got to talk about one thing because I know that my listeners are going to be pretty conservative, right? And so that, right. so they, they may have some questions about, okay, what what do you mean growing in love for the LGBT community? Particularly, some of our friends are very politically active and they would see this as a political issue. Mm-hmm. You framed it as a as a love issue, mm-hmm. which um I think I know where you're going there. Can you can you tell me why and, and why you look at it that way? Well, uh, we got to know my husband was um a therapist in charge of a program and he had a team of six, and three of the people on the team ended up to be gay or lesbian. And he would pray every day, you know, he couldn't talk about God, but he could pray every day before he went to work, God love them through me. And so over time, we developed these deep friendships with those people. And um, they and they would say, you know, we don't, we know that you're a Christian, that's kind of scary for us, because Christians aren't always nice to us, but we can tell that you love us. And so they invited us into their lives. And as we got to know them, they didn't become just our gay friends. They became our friends, period. So when my husband was asked to do a wedding for those people we had known and loved and shared life with for six years, um, he said yes. And that was sort of a big deal. And um, it was really... um, one of the times where I felt God really giving me specific guidance, because obviously there was a lot of backlash about that. But God gave me three dreams during that time. They were all very similar and a little bit different. So each time I was walking on a college campus, it was a Christian college campus, and I was in I was taking a tour with um, incoming freshmen. And I would be showing them around and one would come up to me, a boy or a girl, take me aside and say, I just need you to know that I'm gay. And I would say, well, I just need you to know that I love you and that this could be a hard place for you. And so if you need me at any time, I will be here for you. I had that dream three times. Mm. 
And I just felt like God was saying, Jackie, that's your job. You need to love people. These people on the margins are hurting largely, unfortunately, through the church. Um, and so my job was to love them. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I find some things that are, are pretty interesting. You and I had this conversation before because uh, I, I eventually came to – friends, by the way, let me just say this. You don't have to agree, but I just ask you to, to listen, okay? So I came to a conclusion that it didn't really matter what I think, right? Because at the at some point, the call of the Christian life is to love others, right? It doesn't it doesn't really matter. Even if I, as I'm loving God, God loves our LGBTQ friends, and therefore I'm called to do the same. And so that has to shape, that has to change the way that I interact with with them, right? It just has to. There's no way around that, in my opinion. Um, so, but that also requires, I hear you saying that you're on this sort of journey of love, right? Of, of going, I have to love other people in a way that maybe you, uh, might not have expected a few, a decade or two before. Right. Right. So what, what was your experience in that? And I guess you kind of described it with the, with the dream, but how did that did it surprise you? Did it like, what would that kind of bring up for you? Well, um, because I lost my job over it, my husband and I decided that we needed to do something about the fact that so many of our friends have been hurt in churches. So we started a group called Shalom, which also besides meaning peace also means unity and wholeness. And we started inviting uh, gay Christians who had been hurt by the church to come. And we studied the Bible together. Um, we did life together. We ate together. It was very hard for them to trust us for the first year. Uh, after that, we we developed trust. And in the course of the three years that we did Shalom, we saw two baptisms. We saw couples marry. We saw couples adopt children. Um, and I'm saying gay couples marry each other. I'm not saying they changed in some way, but... It, it helped them go through a period of uh, growing up that a lot of people get stuck at when they're hurt. Mm. And they matured to the point where everybody moved on to do their own spiritual thing and we keep in touch, but we're not with them. And so that was kind of my response. Like, wow, if I'm willing to get fired over this, I need to figure out how to love people practically. And that's what we did. Yeah. Wow. I think a lot of people would, would hear that and say, I'm, I'm willing to get fired of this and be kind of surprised. Like, have you, have you gotten that reaction? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people I'm, you know, now I can talk about it openly because I'm not hurt anymore. I understand that mm. I'm not, I'm the one that changed. My organization didn't change. I'm the one that changed. And so I love it. I love my friends that are still in it. I still pray for their ministries. Um, but I'm in a much different place with God after going through that period of utter uh, feeling betrayed, feeling um, it, it was a dark time. My husband just doubted even if he was a Christian for a long time. And wow. um, we've had to find our way back to faith. Our faith looks different now. God to us is so much bigger than before because we had built a God box, I think. And right. God blew that box out. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Fascinating. So I, I love this from, uh, let me tell you what I'm interested in. Uh, I'm interested in that from a spiritually development position, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know that that's one thing that you, uh, think about and study and write about as well. Um, so where do you put that in your, is, is that a dark night of the soul for you or hitting the wall for you? And then kind of coming out on the other side, different. Oh, it was definitely a hitting the wall experience. Um, I've, I've talked to other people who we, we kind of disagree about the dark night of the soul experience, but in my opinion, Jesus was always very near to me during that whole experience and every experience of my life since I was tiny, um, that didn't change for me. I didn't feel that, you know, like I couldn't reach out to God. For me, it was mostly anger at Christians. <laughs> like, why yeah. do why do we beat each other up like this? Um, but I would say my relationship did blossom and grow and enrich because then I was really drawn into contemplative practices more and was able to sit with God in silence. And um, as an extrovert, that took a long time to learn. So uh, it's deeper, it's a deeper, it's broader. It's beautiful. It just took a few years to get there. What did you have to lose? What identities did you have to let go of in order to embrace where the Lord was taking you? I loved being a national trainer. I loved teaching and influencing. And so that was, I didn't think I would ever have that experience again. I really mourned the loss of that. And what surprised me, God just surprised me throughout this whole thing. One thing, we used to go on these um, retreats all the time to prepare for our conferences and things at these monasteries and Catholic retreat centers. And I just love that. And I thought, I'm never going to go to another retreat center in my life. And I was just so sad about that. Well, there was a retreat in um, Nebraska, of all places, at a monastery, and <laughs> my friend raised what? money behind my back and sent me to this beautiful oh, wow. retreat. Where did you go? It was, oh, it was a Benedictine monastery. Okay. I can't remember the name of it, but I wrote a whole book about it called The Retreat. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. And it was called The Gravity Center was leading it. And it was all about spiritual formation. And that was so healing for me to be there And then from there, I was invited to help lead a spiritual direction training cohort that was in Reno, and um, they just needed an extra body, and they knew I was trained as a a spiritual supervisor by then for spiritual direction. And I ended up, as other teachers had to drop out for health concerns, being invited to teach, and little things like the Myers-Briggs, and I was like, what? I cried. I'm being invited to teach again. And that just continued to happen until I became the director of the Spiritual Formation Training Center, Christian Formation Direction Ministry. And I just, um, you know, I'm not speaking at national conventions, but I just feel so grateful to be able to share those kinds of um, trainings and growth opportunities with people. Really fascinating. Okay, so the reason I was curious about that is because the only the spiritual director that I know of in Nebraska is Felina Hewitt's and oh, she's at the yeah. gravity center. Right. So yeah, she and Chris like, ah, are, were the ones that led my retreat and I beautiful. just adore them. I was wondering if there was a connection and there is, I love that. Uh, she, I interviewed her several years ago uh, when her book, 
Oh, I forget the title. But the it's pilgrimage book. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It's up over there somewhere on the shelf up with my other spiritual formation books. Um, but anyway, okay, well, that's really great. So that's, that's cool. We Sometimes you never know, right? This small communities, you, you meet yeah. the same people. Interesting, though, that that was kind of your your experience and going through and uh, doing the contemplative stuff. I, I love that you found that the Lord was still close, but you were angry at the church and you had to process that. How did you get through that? How did that? Because I, oh. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one. This is why I'm asking that question. I think there's a lot of people right now going, look, the church is so, uh, for lack of a better term, lost in terms of our cultural engagement. And we're, we're concerned about, I got stories about the culture war stuff that I'm just like, whoa, how about we just get back to our mission? And I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a ton of people feeling that. This is why our churches are a third less full than they were right. before COVID, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why I wrote Tumbled People, because we're just sort of lost if we don't feel like we fit anymore where do how do we find our people you know what do we do um for me i'm trying to remember your question again <laughs> so what i'm wondering is how did you handle the uh, um the the church the anger at the church i mean here you've been ostracized by people that you were friends with probably use the family language oh we're a family right mm-hmm. and it's like really are we a family because you know <laughs> number one if you got a better job you'd go take it immediately and probably not talk to me again number two the moment i have a, a view that's different than yours we can't be friends come on we're not right. we're not family right so what about that like how did you handle that and what was yeah. that well Seriously. i um thankfully i had a spiritual director and let me tell you she got an earful every time we met <laughs> And if I hadn't had that touchstone, and my husband says exactly the same thing, if he hadn't had a spiritual director, he probably just would have kept wandering away from faith altogether. So that was the major thing. And then I found writers that um, it's important for me to have words for my experience. So finding people that write things about uh, what I'm going through that resonate with me and give me words for my experience really helped as well. Did you, what books did you find really helpful? Um, I found Phyllis Tickle and I can't remember the name of her book, but she talked about how every 500 years, God throws a garage sale and shakes off the <laughs> calcification of the church. And that we're and in we're the overdue. middle, of, Let's we're just in the say middle that. of it. It's happening. Yep, and that's okay. It's hard. It's scary. We don't know where it's going to land, but it's a good thing. If you study history, it's always a good thing. Yeah. Um, so it's fascinating. And then uh, Richard Rohr's meditations help um, John Philip Newell talking about Celtic Christianity and, and getting finding your way back to Jesus helps. I mean, I just read constantly. So um, I could talk about books forever. Yeah, well, I'm happy to to mention a few because I think for people who are going through some of that kind of thing, they're going to want a resource, right? They're going to want to go right. to some of those as well um, as, as ways to, you know, maybe help process some of that uh, sort of thing. So definitely uh, fascinating. Okay. So you go through this and you're like, God, what's up? You had a spiritual director, you eventually became one. Were you already one by then? Yes, I you was were, already okay. one so by you were, then. So you were acquainted with the practice and you're like, Hey, I need one. Yes. Okay. It's been a while since we've had a spiritual director on the show. Can you describe the process of spiritual direction, what it is, and why we need it? 
Yes. And what it is not, it is not counseling yes. and it is not someone who's going to give you advice. It's, um, it's a, usually a monthly meeting for an hour. You give a donation usually um, to the director. Uh, you sit with them and we talk about companioning being a better metaphor than directing. They are journeying with you on your spiritual journey. So they are a spiritual companion. And we like the picture of three chairs in the room. So it's you and me and the Holy One, uh, Jesus, or however you want to picture that sitting next to you. And mostly it's a discipline of deep listening. A director will listen, ask wonderful open-ended questions, maybe notice themes that come up while you're sitting together. And that's, um, that's what spiritual direction is. Why, so why should people embrace it? Cause I, I have this contention that spiritual direction should be a bigger part of our American evangelical experience than it is, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, like I said, I had to go to seminary to learn how to pray. And that's where I learned about spiritual direction. I got some training myself. Um, but that was because I was studying Christian formation. Like if I had to study preaching, I would have got, I got zero of that. Right. Yeah, Absolutely zero. And that's not, I'm not a very good preacher, which is why I didn't say that by the way, but, <laughs> but that's, but that is, but it's, it's missing, right? It's just completely missing from this part of the, of the American evangelical experience and we need it. So, um, do you feel the same way or like, what do you, what do you find? Oh, yes. And especially for people who are in that place of, of maybe prayer is not really working for them the way they it did in the past, or they yeah. don't know how to connect with God in ways that are working anymore. And they want some new ideas. I think spiritual directors usually have a lot of wonderful, you know, resources, books or spiritual practices. And so if you're in a place where you're feeling discombobulated or unsteady, it's a good time to reach out to a director and you don't have to pick the first one you go to. You know, I would suggest trying somebody for three times and see if you're a good fit. And if not, and they can do the same thing. Directors can say, we're, I don't feel like we're a good fit. Let me help you find somebody else. And so it's very mutual that way. But, you know, if you can find one you fit with, it's, it's wonderful. I've had mine for years my first one were retired. I had her for years. So um, there's a, a resource called um, Spiritual Directors International, where you can go on and seek one in your area, or you can find some that are online that will meet you virtually. Um, but, but, you know, you just need to find, look on there because there's all kinds and find one that you feel fits you. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, is helpful. So you can, you can do it, but you have to seek it out, right? Probably your church is not going to tell you, Hey, you should get a spiritual director. They're probably not going to pay for it. And they're probably not going to have one on staff 90% of the time, 99.5% of the time. <laughs> they're, they're not going to have somebody like that. So you're going to have to seek it out. Uh, and so if you're in a season, regardless of the season, it, spiritual direction is helpful. Uh, but if you feel, if this is resonating as, as Jackie's describing it and you're like, I could use that. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved what you said, by the way, that you need to seek it out. Let me finish that sentence. I love what you said with um, that. It's often when prayer isn't working or like the Bible study, you know, you can read the Bible in a year so many times. And if you're like me, get to Leviticus and stop or, <laughs> or, or just keep going or whatever. Even if you've done it, like you, once you get the picture, 
That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I fully support it. But also take, learn some other practices, right? There's yeah. other practices to go a little bit deeper. I found myself, I talk about Lectio a lot, Lectio Divina. Mm, yeah. And I found myself in seminary. I had to teach on Romans 8. And so I taught on Romans 8. And then over the next few years, I just couldn't get over it. And so I just kept thinking about it and reading it and studying it and getting into it. And then I discovered I was basically doing Lectio, but in a like like a long form version, like for <laughs> long for form Lectio, two, two, I love it. two or three years, you know. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I found it by accident, and then I went to a um, a Jesuit retreat house here in Colorado called Sacred Heart. It's in Sedalia, mm. silent retreat house. Nobody will talk to you, <laughs> um, which is both fabulous and terrifying at the same time, <laughs> and. He taught me how to do that, right? This director taught me how to do that and took me through some of the stuff, you know, yeah. uh, the exercises of, of Ignatius. But so you may have to get out of your, I guess the point to all that, uh, besides just sharing some of my story with you, is you may have to get outside of your tradition. You may have to have to pursue something in, you know, and, and pursue other people who are in part in traditions beyond where you come from. Right. In order to learn some of these practices. Yeah. And what's wonderful is the evangelical church has started doing it in the last few years. There's way more uh, contemplative practices coming into the church. And I'm so happy to see that. And uh, historically, if you think about what happened in the Reformation, these practices were very common uh, before in the Catholic church. Uh, but when the Reformation came, it's almost like we threw the baby out with the bathwater. So all those practices got shut down, even from the Catholics, they went down into mm -hmm. monasteries. And we took the Bible and spoken prayer, and they kept unspoken prayer, right, and liturgy. Yeah. So we were separated for so long. But what I love about it now is I had a speaker that told me, um, we live in a great time because it used to be a big wall between the Catholic and Protestant church. And now there's a low hedge and we can step back and forth and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these practices come from that history. Absolutely. Yeah. God's people have been doing this well for millennia. Right. Yeah. And so like, yeah. we just, you just need to pay attention a little bit and study outside perhaps your genre. This is why I'm so such a big fan, by the way, of studying church history also. Yes. Like, especially if you go back further for, than the Reformation, that's good history to learn, but go back further. There's other stuff that you'll learn that uh, you might not expect. And that's actually <laughs> faith forming, right? Like you, yes. we can learn from our brothers and sisters in the faith from a thousand years ago or better. So much. And I, I talk about these things on my blog. It's called Spiritual Practices 101 because I make them really easy. So Lectio will be on there in silence and solitude and taking a walk can be a spiritual practice. Anything done with intention toward God can be a spiritual practice. And so for me, I just try to make them super easy to understand. And in my book, Tumbled People, it's full of spiritual practices. So if you want to try some and see what fits for you, because not everything fits for everybody, um, those are great places to look to. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the life of love. Like, have you experienced that? Have you like, have you, is there some way that you found that you kind of, have been able to access that part of the journey? Well, for me, the, you know, the greatest commandment, love God, love others is where I try to live. 
Um, and obviously some days I do better than others. <laughs> right. Don't we all? And I find that it's so much easier to to be that way with people I don't know than family. But <laughs> right. families where it hits the road, you know, I'm I've got my granddaughter this week and and I do great until about eight o'clock and then I'm so ready to be done with her. So this morning I was just praying, God, just help me love her well. Help me love her well, you know, every day. Give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I think that's uh that's good. I want to I want to ask uh one or two other questions cuz I know that we we talked a little bit about how kind of you hit the wall in your faith and how that helps you, but as a director, what do you see as I think common signs uh that you're hitting the wall? I think maybe you you address that a little bit, but I'm wondering if there's more there. And then also if there's any um you know what are what are the reasons for hope? Like so, we we went for a hike this past week, and the trail was unclear. But there were these Karens all over the place, right? You know, like nice. there there was little little things. And I was thinking about that, going, okay, sometimes we don't know where we're supposed to be, but then we see that, and we know that we're kind of on the right, we're on the path anyway, whether it doesn't looks like a path or not. And I feel like the spiritual desert is kind of like that sometimes. What what are some of those Karens that you see some for for people? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. I think people hit the wall for so many different reasons and and more than once during life, I'm sure. But, um, you know, anytime people are going through a really big uh, thing in their lives, maybe somebody died or maybe there's a divorce or maybe there's, um, I don't know, you come out as gay, right? I mean, those are big walls in it and it forces you to rethink everything you know about the world. Suddenly you're a single person you didn't want to be or whatever. Those can be things that push you through the wall. Um, but also, I imagine just spiritual burnout or scripture mm. not giving you life or prayer hitting a steel ceiling. You know, those kinds of things that dry up can also put you in that deep place. And those cairns for everybody are different. Uh, if you're if you're into worship, you might find different kinds of worship that bring you through those dark places. If you're into writing poetry, that might help. If you're into being in nature, for me, oh my gosh, I'm such a tree hugger. I hate to say this, but <laughs> I grew up in California and moving yeah. to Nevada is a desert. Oh, and yeah. I have to literally drive to California at least once a month just to be around trees because they are so beautiful and important to me spiritually. Just... God made these trees and I just, I miss them. So, you know, find out what feeds your soul. In fact, today I put up a blog about what unfurls your soul and it's different for different people, but you got to find it because if not, you're just racing through life, totally wound up like a tight little bud and you're not unfurling and you can't love other people until you're unfurling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think what's so interesting about that because I mean, your answer is really, well, it depends on what feeds your soul, right? Which is so subjective for, for most people. It's not, it's not like a, a thing, but part of this, that journey in the desert is to discover yourself, right? This is why I call that right. season finding yourself in Christ, right? G, uh, John LaCrosse talks about the things that uh, the desert, like will take away the darkness, right? We'll take away from you some identities or he talked about the 
seven deadly sins or whatever, right? So, so, but it'll, it'll, this is the message I got from that. It takes away some ideas, but then the Lord gives us new ones in that, right. in that season. And he yeah. tells you who you really are. And you have to, part of going through that season is embracing who God made you to be. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you've talked much about the Enneagram, but for me, the Enneagram will really, really help you understand who you are in yeah. a good way and in a bad way. And uh, and that's, you know, finding your true and false self and all those kinds of words. Also, I believe silence and solitude is a huge part of finding your true self, because I used to take students to these week-long camps, and they were so afraid of our day of silence. They were terrified of our day of silence, but it always became the most important day. And one of them, he just met himself and found out he did not like himself at all, right? So that's where this hard work begins, in, yeah. in those stillness, in the stillness. I love the image of you take a, a jar, a mason jar full of river water, and you sit it down and let it sit. And what happens is all the silt will sink to the bottom, and then you can see more clearly through the water. And that's what silence and solitude does for you. It lets everything settle so you can see more clearly. Wow. That's so good. I think it's time to schedule another retreat down at uh, in Sedalia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for calling me out. I appreciate that, <laughs> Jackie. That's uh, good. But yeah, absolutely. I think that that is good. Friends, also for you, uh, when's the last time you had time without your phone, without your TV, without uh, other people to distract you? Consider looking wherever you are. There are places that are silent retreat places, or you can just go to nature. I mean, you can do that too, but uh there are places where you can go and you will find directors there and you will be able to just stop. And I would say do a couple days and then maybe in six months or a few months or a year, do like a few more days, but a few longer. Right. And then, so the longest I ever did was five days. It was beautiful, amazing five day experience. Someday I'm going to do a 30 day, but just work yourself up to it because it's, it is valuable. It, it is one of the, one of the best practices you can do. I love that. Okay. Jackie, uh, we, we talked about, uh, tumble people a little bit. I love this imagery of the rocks, your rock tumbler. Can you just describe that for us a little bit? And then what you're hoping people, uh, will get out of this, this book. Um, it's so I grew up with a neighbor that rock tumbled. And so I decided, Oh, I'm going to do this with my grandkids. Well, it is not as easy as it sounds. (laughs) So what happens is you have, it takes a good month or so, and you have these different grains of sand that you put in the tumbler. And then when you open it up, it's all full of goo and grossness. And then you wash it off and put it in again with more sand. And then you do it three times. But at the end, you have these beautiful rocks. And I thought that was a perfect analogy for what we go through in life, that we all go through the tumbler. And the tumbler can either make us bitter, angry people or it can make us soft, beautiful, loving, kind people. And so the book is really about how do we come out on the other side of those walls and that tumbling to be a soft, kind, loving person and not a bitter, angry person. <laughs> and uh, that's sort of the analogy. The book has, it's big. It's uh, its like a notebook. You write in it. It has journaling pages and it has spiritual practices as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of a workbook so you can get it. So, you know, that, uh, friends that silent retreat I was recommending, well, maybe you could get, pick this book up and take it with you on your retreat, start working through it. 
probably would be a great one. Lots of spiritual practices, uh, which this would be a really good introduction for you to to get into some of those things. I love it, and also it's kind of beautiful. I people won't be able to see the video, but I love the uh, the pretty rocks on the front. Reminds me actually of my great grandfather. He was also a rock tumbler, yeah. uh, and somewhere I have a I have a couple of his uh, his rocks uh, that he had polished and, and made pretty. But uh, I love that metaphor. All right, Jackie, thanks so much for being here. I really do appreciate you sharing some of your story and some of your heart and some of these practices because I think we need them for sure. Your website, of course, is Jackie Turner. That's J-A-C-C-I Turner.com. It's linked at halfwaythairpodcast.com. You guys can find that there. The book, again, is Tumbled People, Deconstructing and Reconstructing Your Faith. Definitely get that. Jackie, is there anything that you want to leave us with? Hope. I always want to leave people with hope. It is so hard right now. Don't don't read the newspaper. Don't watch the news. It's so discouraging. I'm on a fast from that. But, you know, look to hope. Find hope in people, in God, in books, in scripture, in the forest, wherever you can find hope, because that's what we need right now. Yeah. Yes and amen. And uh, hope goes hand in hand with love, does it not? It sure does. Sort of the way it is. Thank you. I appreciate you being here, Jackie. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Mm -hmm.